Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. It is my joy to welcome back somebody that's been on the podcast before, but I get to talk to Dr. Tom Askell today. Tom, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Jerry, for having me on. Well, I'm so thankful you made the time. I know you got so many things going on right now, so thank you so much for being here with us. Well, it's a joy. I look forward to it. All right, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll get into our questions today. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for blessing upon this conversation. I thank you for Dr. Askell and all that you've been doing through him, his life and ministry. I thank you for the stands that he has taken over the last year that is really just standing with your word. I thank you that so many men have been encouraged and so many women have been encouraged just to stand with your word because of your work through him. I thank you for what he's doing for Dr. Bacham right now. Thank you so much for Vody Bacham and, and I thank you for their friendship and, and all that you're doing through this GoFundMe account. And, and, and uh, God, we're just asking for, for blessing and healing upon Dr. Bacham. And, and Lord, just bless this time that we have today. I trust that you're going to do that. And uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I've got a few pastors that are, are going to be tuning into this. And I really want to ask you some questions about courage because the last couple of years you have been in some spiritual warfare and some battles that have required courage. I know that you've probably lost some friends. I know that you probably gained a lot of new friends, but, uh, but why you and, and Dr. Longshore have even written about courage and uh, why is courage in this current moment, uh, why is courage in the pastorate, pastorate so crucial in this moment in time? Well, uh, it, it's crucial at any given moment in the life of a believer in any given season in the history of the church. But it's especially needed today because the church is being called upon today to take stands that they simply will not take without courage. And you know, th- what do we mean by courage? It's, it's not uh, just you know bravado. It's not looking down your enemies or your fears. It's really coming down to a decision of who you're going to fear. And if you fear God properly, if we do, when we do, we won't fear people. And if we fear people, then we're not going to be fearing God as we ought to. I'm often reminded in these days of Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his Templeton Award speech when he was reflecting on his own decades-long study of what happened in the Bolshevik Revolution in the Soviet Union and what he heard his elders saying when he was a child that uh, we have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. He said after his decades of study, trying to understand it, he said, I can't improve upon that statement. All this has happened because we have forgotten God. And when I look around at what's going on at evangelical churches in the West, and especially here in America, and you think, how did we get here? We've forgotten God, the God who is, the God who created all things, the God who rules over all things, the God who's redeemed us in his son, Jesus Christ, the God whom Jesus himself said that we should fear, not the people who can kill our bodies only, but fear him who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And so we need courage if we're going to stand against the tsunami that is rising up against the ways of Christ 
and it's happening all throughout our culture. It's been there, but um, it's been not nearly as uh, uh, vocal and apparent and increasingly um, violent or oppositional as what we've seen in the last year or two. And I don't think we have begun to see uh, the, the full brunt of it yet. I think it, there's more coming than what we've thus far seen. Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, if you can't stand when the wind's blowing a little bit, what are you going to do when the hurricane force winds come? And yeah. so now's the time for God's people to get back to God and fearing God and praying that God would deliver us from the fear of people. Um, you know, I, I'm inspired and encouraged by our brothers on whose shoulders we stand throughout church history. John Knox being one of the great reformers in Scotland, the, the one that God used in, in one sense, as historians refer, refer to it, as seeing a nation born in a day. And at his funeral, it was said, here lies the, the body of a man who never feared the face of men. And may that be said of all of us. May we learn not to fear people because we have a right fear of the God who redeemed us through the blood of his son. Amen. Amen. Well, when you begin to make stands like this, uh, what I've noticed, Tom, is that the nuanced crowd, the crowd, you know, the I'm not saying everybody who writes for the Gospel Coalition, but let's just use that as an example. Those who are crying out for theological nuance in this season who are trying to be nice and kind and preserve public witness, the response upon hearing, you know, what you're talking about and hearing what I've talked about, I've had endorsements taken away from the, uh, the work here. Um, I've had friendships that, that really have, uh, have fizzled out um, because of some of the stands that our church has taken that I have taken personally. And the accusation is, I'm sure you've heard this. Well, Tom, we agree with you, and we agree that these are issues that we have to have courage uh, to stand against, but it's just the way that you're doing it. You're just coming off as so stinking abrasive. Um, how, how do you face that sort of opposition? Let me just ask you up front, because I know that you have, I, maybe I shouldn't assume that you have faced that opposition, but how do you face that? And then speak to the guys that are listening in. This is a, a group of cohort. This are, My cohort is going to be hearing this first before, before anybody mm-hmm. else. Um, and maybe they're facing some opposition like this as well. And people are just saying, hey, you're, you're, you're just being mean. Um, how have you faced that opposition? And how would you encourage other pastors who are facing opposition like that? Well, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not above being mean. I'm not above being harsh. And so I always want to be careful. And, and I want to listen to criticism and, and not necessarily assume that it's illegitimate. Yeah. Uh, um, so I want to be open to that, but I want to have people I trust to help me think about that because so often what happens with those who are concerned more about tone than they are content is these subtleties and nuances that they want to highlight, take on a life of their own and before long about the substance of the concerns. And so if I'm in a house that's on fire and you have to break my windows and break my door and slap me and drag me by my hair out of the house in order to get me out of it. I hope that I'm not going to sit around and complain to you about how much damage you've done to get me out and how bad my head hurts now. You know, I'm going to thank you for getting me out of the house that's on fire. And what I don't think many of our friends who would say privately, you know, yeah, we agree with you. Well, if you agree with me privately, why are you not sounding the alarms publicly? Yeah. I, I don't get that. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't get it. And I've been, I've said that to people who have said these things. I don't get many of the private stuff. I don't get much of that anymore mm-hmm. because my stock answer is okay. So you're telling me you really do think that this is another gospel. You do think that the gospel is being undermined and yet you're going to, who would preach a different gospel, be damned to hell. And you're going to say, Oh no, no, we need to be careful with our tone and we need to be nice. Uh, look, I, I love being liked by people. I don't like being hated by people. I don't like stirring up controversy unnecessarily. You know, I'm getting to the last laps of my life and um, I've got things that I would love to be doing that I thought I would be doing quite honestly that I'm not doing because of what I see that needs to be done. And if I'm sinning, then show me, you will serve me well, but don't come at me with the world's standards of what yeah. is nice and acceptable and approvable, approval, or their, their sense of approval and try to silence what the word of God actually says that I'm trying to communicate because you don't like the way I'm saying it. I've been reminded of Dwight Moody, you know, when uh, people got upset with him about his form of evangelism. He said, well, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. And (laughs) in some sense, I could say that about these issues of trying to stand against the uh, wickedness that is flying under the name of justice and flying Mm -hmm. under the name of love and and, uh, compassion today um, when what folks are are not doing is causing more damage because they're letting things go than those of us that are at least trying to do something. Well, I, mm. Granted, we could do it better. I, I wish there were better people than me attempting to do it. But until the up, I'm happy to try to man the post and, and stay and, and do what I can. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, I think what we're seeing is a modern, it's, it, it's, it's almost an identical thing to what was happening in Spurgeon's day with the downgrade. You have questions uh, coming up against um, inerrancy. You have questions about the blood of Christ, that somehow the blood of Christ is not enough to unite black and white um, or people of all color. And it's, it's the exact same sort of liberalism that was, and, and Spurgeon stood alone. I mean, if they had the internet, maybe he would have known that he didn't stand alone. There were others that were standing with him. But uh, it is nice to see that there yeah. is there is people that, that today are recognizing what's going on and they're saying, wait a minute, what does God have to say about this? And then let's not be ashamed. Let's not apologize. Let's not be jerks, but um, let's, let's stand with the word of God. Here we stand. So why is it that so many pastors uh, just, I mean, kind of clear the air that here, like just some cultural analysis within evangelicalism, people who would adamantly defend the inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture, uh, people who are even confessional conservative Christians. Why have so many pastors and why have so many churches over the last five years, and then, you know, from George, George Floyd forward, I mean, we could really talk about how things have ramped up since then. Why is it that so many people who are confessionally solid have been duped by CRT, by feminism, by everything that's, that's been going on? Why are so many people being duped? What, what is your analysis of how we got here? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think many Christians in our day have been ill-prepared has come upon us. You know, we've, we've been able to live at peace uh, with the culture for a long time. At least we thought we were, you know, they had their territory, we had ours. And uh, many of the people in our camp built kind of pietistic silos and were satisfied to live within the four walls of the church building and do some things that were not uh, judged to be uh, too outlandish or, or too offensive to the culture around us. In fact, sometimes the culture might applaud us if we did it in certain ways. You know, you fill backpacks for kids that don't have any school supplies or you uh, give diapers to new mothers, you know, who don't have any diapers for the kids. You can do wonderful things. 
things like that. And those are not bad things. Mm-hmm. But as long as you do those things, then the culture will, will applaud you. But whenever you start saying, you know what, Jesus Christ is Lord, and you are to bow to him, because if you don't bow to him, you are going to uh, be judged by him eternally in hell Mm -hmm. and you are not the master of your own destiny. (laughs) And if you're born a man, God made you a man. You cannot identify yourself as a woman and demand that everyone now affirm your identity as a woman or else they're doing violence to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to call you a woman if God made you a man. Well, now you are uh, being horribly offensive. You're being, you're doing violence. You're destroying me literally because in their postmodern way of thinking, their identity is a construct and they have constructed it themselves. And when you don't affirm it, you are deconstructing it. You are destroying them. And I, I sadly, I, I say this, not, not, I really am saddened by it, but it's motivated me to do some things. Like we've just started the Institute of Public Theology. And the yeah. reason behind that, the motivation behind that is because it's dawned on us that we are living in a postmodern era which, in which most of the ministers of the gospel that have been modern worldview, culture. And I'm not telling you that they, they have bought into it and they've been formally schooled in it, but it's the air that we have breathed. It's the world we've lived in. And so I was talking to a, uh, uh, a retired uh, president of a well-known Christian institution just this last week. And he said, one of the biggest regrets I have, he says, now that I've gone, said men that I hired to teach, I had great thing to take stands and say things that are contrary to what they said they believed when I was there, what I understood mm-hmm. them to believe. And he said, I had a rigorous uh, process of interviewing. He said, I, I personally did uh, certain levels of interviews. Nobody got through without me sitting down with them. And he said, what's dawned on me is that uh, this is a postmodern day, which people can say, well, of course, you know, I've signed the Baptist faith and message. I've signed the Danvers statement. I've signed uh, the Nashville statement. I, I've signed the abstract of principles and, and they really mean it. You know, I've mm-hmm. signed it. But when they say they signed it, when they say they believe it, that idea of believing something is different in their minds than say what it was a hundred years ago mm. to our forefathers yeah. who, whenever they were pinning their names to documents or three or 400 years ago, they were doing so at the, the cost sometimes of their own life and very often of their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so today, of course we believe this now I've had this conversation with professors. I've had this conversation. I believe this. This person has signed these documents. Well, you can't sign these documents and take this position. Yeah. Well, but she signed the documents. That's what I've been told. She signed the document. I don't care if she signed the documents. I want to have a face-to-face conversation and tell me what this person believes who signed these documents and then takes these stands over here endorsing ways of life that are contrary to the Bible and the very documents that have been signed. Yeah. So it's just dawned. That's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. I was trained in this world. I grew up in this world. You're growing up in this world. I mean, this is it. This is the world we're in. So we have got to no longer assume that simply affirming confessions of faith mm-hmm. mean what well, means what we historically have understood it to mean. We've yep. got to tease that out and to be more discriminatory in our thinking and our speaking about this is what truth is, this is error. The error is not truth. The truth is not error. And you cannot say A 
plus B equals C and A plus B does not equal C at the same time in God's yeah. world. You just yep. can't. And I mean, it's, it's pedantic and it, it gets a little bit frustrating, but you know, our, our church, our elders years ago, by God's grace, rewrote our constitution for our church when the church adopted it. One of the things we put in there is we believe this is before Burgerfeld ruling that, that we believe that marriage is between one biological male and one biological wow. female. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had questions that time. Why are you using that language? Well, <laughs> we just think it's important. Sure enough, within years, yeah, you know, the Supreme Court's coming out telling us that's not the case. And now we've got transgenderism that's run amok. So I just think that many of our church leaders have not been well prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like we forgot to read our Bibles as carefully as we should have. Mm-hmm. And the world has come in and we have seen the world infiltrate with its various ideologies and now there's great intimidation to yep. go along and to affirm or at least not to criticize. And if you do criticize and you refuse to affirm, then there's going to be a price to pay. And sadly, um, some are not willing to pay it. Yeah. It's been so frustrating to see. I, I've abandoned Twitter and Facebook, but it's been frustrating to still see reports. I'm on Gab, so I hear conversations that transfer from Twitter and Facebook and over to Gab. But it's been frustrating, even seminary presidents who will affirm one statement and then the next day on Twitter affirm something completely, the uh, the antithesis of the statement that was made the day before. And here we go. It's trying. And then we yeah. see Tom Buck and yourself making stands, speaking prophetically with an open Bible. And then we see presidents of denominations and we see J.D. Greer himself, I'll, I'll say his name, um, who sides with the evil person and the evil persons and doesn't back his own men. His And it's just so frustrating to see. And so I, I'm having these conversations as well. I have uh, my sister was over. We were just spending some time with my sister. And she said, Jared, I just want to thank you so much. A year ago, I was thinking that you're crazy. And and then God just opened my eyes and he used you to help me just to see I had sunk into this place of this wokeness and hadn't even known. And then God just kind of brought me out of it. And I realized, oh my gosh, you're not crazy. You're trying to say, here's what God has to say about this. I'm sure you've had these positive stories as well, where you've had people who are just like, I mean, they've been they've just been in the woke world. God pulled them out and used you and Dr. Longshore, your ministry with founders to do that. Um, what have you found as a, maybe a consistent theme or maybe this, this scarlet thread that runs through these stories? Um, how, how do we help people that are in it? I mean, they're in that two-faced world and don't even realize it. Maybe they're in this wokeness they've gone down that that train how do they get pulled out of it is it just a supernatural act of god like it is when we're converted um is there things that you have seen that are common common to the stories of people saying you know what i realized that i was in error and fighting against the word of god and didn't even see it what have, what's been that common thread that you've seen yeah yeah well there's several things i mean certainly fundamentally is keeping the bible open uh, so many people think they know what's in the bible and it's sad you know i mean i'm, I'm sure i've done this i know i have when you just assume what's in the bible then you actually open it and read it you say oh okay it does say this i mean even today mm-hmm. just just more than not more, more than two hours ago i was having an exchange with a man who was um uh taking exception to things i'd said about our um, president biden and vice president harris which i said about Vice President Pence and President Trump before.
for them. We pray for them. We, you know, we've criticized where we think they've done wrong and we affirm where we think they've done right. And with the whole Tom Buck thing and about comparing Vice President Kamala Harris to Jezebel, he took exception to that. And he said, you know, sinners are going to sin. And I've heard that all the time. I hear this from Christian leaders all the time. Why are you surprised when sinners sin? Well, I'm not surprised when sinners sin. I'm surprised when Christians who watch sinners sin just kind of write it off as well sinners are going to sin we don't care enough about their souls to tell them hey you need to repent of your sin there's a god against whom you're sinning uh that's that's what (laughs) shocks me more than seeing sinners sin but anyway this brother was saying i mentioned something about i just think god's servants ought to do god's will he said well amen they should so but kamala harris isn't god's servant romans 13 tells us we're to be subject to the ruling authorities i said well you know why do you skip verses four and five (laughs) Yeah. I want you to skip verse four. Twice Amen. Paul says there that he is God's servant to mm-hmm. for your good. He is God's servant to you know to wield the sword. Uh, you know what? So when did it become impolite to tell God's servants to do God's will? I'm yeah. that what Amen. God instructs them to do. I'm not telling any civil authority that he needs to preach the gospel or he needs to promote the gospel with his civil uh, power. I don't want that. Good night. No, but I am telling him. You know what? God has a lane for you mm-hmm. and God has a rule for civil authorities and you are to rule according to it. And if you don't, you're rebelling against your creator who put you in the position whose servant you are. And, and so I just think there's some basic misunderstanding of Bible. So that's fundamental. But a second thing that's been helpful is history. You know, I, I've encouraged lots of so guys, to go back and read the modernist controversy, of course, you referred to the downgrade, and there it was in England. But as it came over to America, you see what J. Gresham Machen mm-hmm. had to stand up against. And what we're facing today, my, my friend Tom Nettles has, has phrased it as eloquently as anybody that I've heard. He said, what we've got today is the social gospel without the liberalism. And so you've got people who are... Yeah affirmed inerrantists who signed all the confessions of faith, but they're promoting a social gospel. They're promoting a way of living and relating to God and one another that in reality has no power of transformation in it because it has no grace in it that mm-hmm. comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating to see the social gospel issues again in our day, but now then they're dressed differently. They're dressed as true conservatism. And of course, in Machen's day, I mean, nobody was out there saying, hey, we're trying to destroy Christianity. This is why we're denying the virgin birth and the bodily mm-hmm. resurrection of Jesus. They all thought they were preserving true Christianity. And I think today within the conservative camp, there are those who think, oh, no, no, you know, we're not giving up on anything. We're just trying to be sensitive and we're trying to show how the gospel is more than just reconciliation with God. The gospel, you know, I mean, as it's being said, has been said by one of the leaders of the North American Mission Board recently that the gospel has these four pillars of reparation. You know, there's the spiritual pillar, that's primary. Uh, There's the emotional pillar, there's the economic pillar, and there's the social pillar. And if you don't have those other three, the first one's not worth much. I mean, that's almost a verbatim quote by a vice president of the North North American Mission Board. You know, I I don't think the guy woke up that morning saying, well, you know, how can I undermine Christianity? Mm -hmm. I just think he doesn't get it. And, you know, understandably, Christians are at different places. What concerns me is when you have Christians who don't understand things that basic in leadership. Yeah. That's where we have problems. They shouldn't be leaders. They need to be learners and they need to be taught. They need to be helped. And if they're not willing to be helped, then uh, we've got to, you know, do our best, but we can't, you know, I'm not going to pay their salaries. And yeah support them to continue to teach people things that will ultimately lead them to hell. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not loving to them. It's not loving to God. 
Yeah, and if, if they're in those positions, they shouldn't have to be taught. They should know better. And just period, they should know better. Right. And uh, it's it's silly. I've had these conversations with some leaders as well who have said, hey, you know, some of these guys that are, you know, into this stuff, uh, they, they need to be brought along. They need to be taught. And I'm thinking they've been in ministry for 15 years. They they should have. They should know better. Like, yeah. that's just the point. They should know better. And we shouldn't give somebody a pass. They should know better. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, lot, lots of food or lot, lots of things to chew on. Uh, with that, I want to switch gears a little bit, ask a question about Dr. Bauckham, and then I want to get to some of these uh, questions from the guys that are in the cohort. Okay. And, uh, um, I see over your shoulder there, Family Driven Faith. I read that book when I think it was in 2008. I was single, pastoring a church, and uh, had, I was about a year from meeting my wife. And I was a youth ministry major at a Pentecostal Wesleyan college. And <laughs> I worked in the summer times with Student Life Camp. And so I, in 2003, I think, or four, I heard and worked alongside with Dr. Vody Bauckham, and he was preaching at a youth ministry uh, camp, this big student life camp. And uh, so when his book came out a few years later, and I just was in, just cut my teeth in pastoral ministry and read that book. And then I thought, uh oh, this changes everything. Um, and that book has stuck with me and uh, really has, has been, uh, you know, as I look back, there's always books that God has used in your life that has kind of changed the trajectory of, of your life and ministry. And that's definitely one of them. I'm so thankful for what you've done to help with his medical uh, costs and expenses and, and keeping us all update, updated. And my family and our church prayed for Bodie Bauckham Sunday. What's the latest that you can tell us? I saw an update on Instagram, but would you go ahead and just kind of give us the latest of what's going on with, with Bodie Bauckham right now? Yeah, well, uh, our brother is very, very sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I want to respect his privacy yeah. and that of his family, but he's very, very sick, and he is facing um, major medical difficulties. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he, he's made it known. Some people don't. Uh, aren't aware of it, but he's had uh, serious kidney problems for many, many years. And okay. so his kidney disease, chronic kidney disease, is complicating these matters with his heart, mm-hmm. but his heart has suffered uh, uh, some serious difficulties. And w- what he's facing is most likely you know, not, not going to be fixed in a day or a month or a year. He's probably going to be living with whatever can be done for the rest of his life. Okay. So, um, yeah, you know, I, and I mm. just, I mean, I just, I love him. He's a brother. He's a dear friend and, uh, my wow. heart grieves. I've, I've just pled with God to mm. keep him, keep him yeah. with us. Amen. Yeah. That's what we've prayed is that God would give him more years, extend his life. And certainly we'll be praying. And when the guys get to watch this, I'm sure that they'll be praying as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's just tough, you know. Tell you what, life is life is wonderful, and life can be a confusing confusing time sometimes. And we trust the Lord, you know. Amen. Um, okay, let's let's switch gears into these questions. Um, any of these that you don't want to a- answer, that's fine. Um, first one comes from John Finch. He's a pastor out of Texas, and uh, he says that if the SBC happens this year, what are what are your hopes for the outcomes on the repeal of Res- Revolution Re- Resolution Nine? and the election of the new president? Yeah, well, um, I intend to make a motion that we rescind Resolution 9. Now, uh, I've not made that you know, private. Everybody's asked me. I tell them that. I said it last year. I was going to Orlando with that purpose. 
I have consulted directly with uh, one parliamentarian, a professional parliamentarian, uh, one indirectly who has written, and I've read what he's written on the very question of can this be done? And indeed it can be done. I've studied Robert's Rules of Order. I found the exact section. I know the paragraph to quote, I read whenever I stand at the microphone. So it's my full intent to get to a microphone and make a motion to rescind resolution nine. Now, um, Good. you know, I've had people come to me who uh, have said, you know, you can't do this or uh, you shouldn't do this. And I said, well, I, I can, and I'm going to. And uh, folks have tried to negotiate with me from, from, people on, in other realms of the SBC, you know, what about this? Would you accept this? And, you know, if you do this, it might mean that. And I just say, look, I don't care. You know, I don't care. I'm not negotiating. I'm not trying to do anything that's going to be tricky. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm going to mm -hmm. go to a microphone. I'm going to make a motion. And, you know, if they rule it out of order, that's fine. And, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm just going to do it because I think it needs to be done. Resolution nine was a colossal mistake. Mistake. The mm -hmm. best that can be said about it is it was disingenuous. That's the best that can be said about it. And there's much more that could rightly be said about it as well. I do know there are going to be resolutions uh, offered. And I, you know, I think I've probably read through eight or nine resolutions that have been sent to me by different people that intend to offer them. I hope they will. I hope there are 500 resolutions submitted to the resolutions committee. I've told people I wouldn't wish my worst enemy on the resolutions committee this year because it's <laughs> going to be an amazing difficult job, but I do expect there to be uh, so many resolutions about resolution nine that the committee will not be able to avoid dealing with it, mm -hmm. that they're going to have to deal with it. And depending on how they deal with it, you know, if they're given wisdom from above, then maybe we can rally and praise God. Uh, if they're not, if they try to turn it into a political football, then I think we will see uh, some uh, some pushback and, and yep. you know that may happen inevitably anyway because there are people who have said if resolution nine gets rescinded we're leaving the convention well um, I don't wish anybody to leave the convention that convention necessarily but if we cannot cooperate together going forward well then the best thing would be not to stay in the convention and I've right. got people on my side of the aisle who I'm saying that too as well so uh, I think that's going to happen I hope I hope it will be rescinded formally and that there will be a clear signal sent to the watching world that we oppose CRT, intersectionality, critical theory in all of its forms without mm -hmm. any, any hesitation whatsoever. Amen. I know there are lots of nuanced people that want to say, oh, but what about this? What about that? Well, look, Charles Darwin said some true things, but I don't want us affirming Darwinism. Yeah. Uh, Amen. We need to stand against it. In terms of the presidency, I hope that we elect a president who is a pastor who will clearly stand against uh, these kinds of inroads that we've seen happen over the last few years. I, I think the convention needs to be led by a pastor. There's no uh, condemnation of anybody else in any other position. I just think that our churches need to stand up and once again began calling for and demanding accountability from the institutions and agencies that belong to us. Yeah. And we need to retrain our trustee boards we need to have a completely different system of, of how trustees get to be uh, in that position and how they're trained to be reminded that they're trustees for the churches, not for the institution. Yeah. They're not a buffer from the institution for the churches to keep the churches at bay. 
but rather they are stewards on behalf of the churches to hold the institutions accountable. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just really disappointed. I mean, I've got an email from a trustee, chairman of a trustee of one of our institutions this week, and it's a joke. We're asking some serious questions very kindly, and it's a joke mm-hmm. what he wrote back. And it's, it's not acceptable. To, it shouldn't be acceptable to any Southern Baptist church to be treated that way. And yet yeah. that's the common way that churches are treated. I've got, there's no telling how many churches I could uh, come up with off the top of my head if I tried that have received similar kinds of responses from both uh, agency heads and trustees of those agencies, just mm-hmm. pro forma letters, you know, thank you for your question. We love Jesus. We signed the Baptist faith and message. This is what we do. And they're not answering the questions. They won't deal with real issues that have been brought to the table. And yep. If churches are concerned, then the concerns of the churches need to be acknowledged and addressed honestly by the institutions that uh, that are obligated to those churches. Yeah, amen. You know, at this point, I was telling our elder team the other day, we've made the decision to withdraw funds from the ERLC, and we've actually taken away 5%. We were giving 10% to the Illinois Baptists. We've taken away 5% of that, and um, and we're giving kind of mission with more flesh on it locally uh, to our church planners and pastors and local mission stuff. Um, but I was telling our elders the other day, I would take please just give us, I don't care if it's an Arminian at all, somebody that will open the Bible and declare, thus saith the Lord. That is the issue at the top level of denominational life. And you can pick any denomination is that there are so few men with the stones to just simply open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says. It settles it all. Uh, The race issues back and forth, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Ephesians 2, here's the deal. Uh, if, If you're not on board with that, peace out. And the, my word's not yours, but uh, I'm, I'm tired of tiptoeing, walking on eggshells, spin, which is so popular at de- both mm-hmm. denominational heads, seminary heads, presidents, whoever. It's a spin game, and people are sick and tired of it. And mm-hmm. I'm one of them. And so I'm one of those in, on, on, uh, in your camp that's just kind of sitting back and watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I didn't grow up SBC. My mother did. But I'm telling you what, if things don't get fixed, we're going to say peace out just how it is. And, uh, and, uh, I don't know where we would go, but we just left the Sojourn network, which is now the Harbor network. And for some, some reasons that, uh, that we laid out for them, five big reasons. And uh, if things don't get, if we don't have somebody that's going to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord here, a WA Criswell moment from the eighties and just say, here, here's where we stand. Then we'll just say peace out. And, um, and so we're going to, Jared, I've heard that from more pastors over the last year than ever before in my life, last year and a half. It's, and we've lost more churches mm-hmm. over the last year and a half, two years, at least to my knowledge, than at any time I can recall in my lifetime. Wow. And uh, I mean, I've heard of whole associations, one whole association of churches that went on record saying, if things don't change, we're all leaving and we'll leave together. And I, you know, I've, I don't try to talk anybody into staying unnecessarily, but I I do try to encourage pastors to stop and think about it. There's a pastor from your own state that called me a little over maybe two years ago now. And he said, he said, our church has voted to leave the SBC. I've got the letter on my desk. I'm looking at it to send to Nashville. Tell me why I shouldn't do it. Mm. And I said, well, brother, (laughs) let me just lay some things out to you. He's still in, but I talked to him last week. He said, I don't know if I can keep my church uh, Mm. at bay. He said, well, you know, they want to lean just what you went over a moment ago. 
what they're hearing from leaders in the SBC and they're saying, pastor, why are we staying? And he said, and I'm running out of things to say to him. And yeah. I said, I get it. You know, I'd hate to see you leave, but that may be the best thing if that's what God has for you. But I understand, I understand that frustration and tension. Mm -hmm. And there are thousands of churches just like that. One, yep. one thing, Jared, that many people don't realize is the Southern Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist Convention has about 48,000 churches. Mm -hmm. At any given national convention, about 8,000 are represented. And so 40,000 of our churches any given year don't have a voice in what happens in those two days when we gather for convention. Can you imagine what would happen if 10,000 of those other churches showed up with two messengers? Yeah, wow, yeah. Um, we, we, you know, we could just say to the convention, hey, you know what, this belongs to us. We want to do some business here. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to accept pro forma letters uh, to just pat us on the head and shove us out the door by a trustee chairman. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to ask questions and we'll extend business sessions and do whatever else we got to do to get answers. Yeah. And we want to hold our institutions and agencies accountable. Uh, I hope that can happen. I, yeah. I hope, you know, I, I hope every Southern Baptist church sends messengers. We'll be there. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll be there. Hopefully we'll have four. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. I hope, I mean, th this is the year. I mean, we can't, it yeah. can't keep going on. I mean, it just can't get going on year after year after year. There has to be change. There has to be some things brought to the table and actually discussed and it needs to happen now. It just right. does. And, and one thing, this is, this is not going to happen. It's not going to change in one year, mm -hmm. but there needs okay. to be a definite turn. Yeah, there needs amen. to be a definite line in the sand that is drawn saying we are not budging one more inch. Mm -hmm. yep. And those that want to push us over, we're not going. And uh, we can have a, a brotherly face-to-face -face conversation and decide what we will be. Yeah. But if you try to make me, and I think a lot of folks like me, be what some people's vision for the SBC is, I can't live like that. Mm-hmm. And our yep. church can't live like that. If we can be what we've said we are and are going to be, fine. We'll live together in harmony with those that we disagree with on some other things. And we'll have those fraternal discussions. But we're not going to welcome in these godless ideologies that undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ and pretend that it's okay because the people that are promoting them have all find the Baptist faith and message. Yeah. Amen. Um, all right, let's let's uh, kind of bring this up to a close, and I want to stop or I want to end with some really positive things because what I'm seeing, in, in light of everything that has been wild and crazy in, the, in 2020 and 2021, some really exciting things happening as well. And I don't know where you are at, with your eschatology, but Dr. James White comes out a couple of days ago as a post millennial. Uh, there, there's a lot of hope on the horizon. I spoke at a post-mill conference earlier uh, this last year, and I spoke about post-millennialism and patriarchy and in the home church and world. So sphere sovereignty and, you know, God is really opening the eyes of a lot of people and, and we're discovering and rediscovering the goodness of the second and third use of God's law. Uh, we're even reading the doctrine of the lesser magistrates and people are reading Lex Rex, Samuel Rutherford. And, and we're saying, wait a minute, the God's law is good. Let's go. The commands of God are good and right. And, and we're having hope. And, and whether you're an optimistic a millennial or, or have, have jumped on the post mill train in the midst of all this, you know, there's this short term craziness that people are looking at and thinking, man, this, you know, there, some are getting on the, on the, uh, the pre mill and just be, 
you know, MacArthur bandwagon, but there are so many people who are just hopeful and they're seeing households built and men stepping up and people building businesses and excited to see they're just, they're just, you know, ripping and raring to go for the glory of God. And um, I want to ask you, what are you hopeful in this season? What are you hopeful about as you're seeing this landscape? We can be all negative, but let's end with a ray of hope here. What are you excited about in the pastorate and in the church throughout America right now? Well, man, clarity is coming. You know, clarity has come and it is coming. And, um, you know, Paul says that divisions must come so that we might discern, you know, who's, uh, who those are. Who. And I don't glory in any division, but if division must come, then I want to be found faithful with what the Word of God says and stand on that side of any division. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. I mean, as, you know, guys like yourself that are... Uh, uh, faithful and are determined to stand firm. That's very encouraging to me. I do believe there's a rising generation that sees through some of the postmodern smoke and mirrors. They're not going to be satisfied for it. There's a lot of refugees as well from mm. that worldview and from some of these ideologies that you referred to earlier. And praise God that he's rescuing people out of that. So I'm, the, the basic foundation of all our hope is that we, we have a risen Savior. I mean, Jesus Christ really does live. God really does raise people from the dead. So uh, the fact that we have a Savior who 2,000 years ago walked the earth, was crucified, buried, <coughs> dead, and came back from the dead, never to die again. I mean, that's a game changer. So mm -hmm. why in the world would we not be hopeful? And I do believe that folks are uh, maybe not as many, and, and that's okay. I mean, because we're getting shaken and there's a, a sifting, a winnowing that is coming and, and it's happening and that's okay. But the, the people who know God and the people who are contented in God, I'm seeing more and more of them willing to make hard decisions in order to live faithfully for God. I'm seeing men take different kinds of businesses because of their unwillingness to bow to the modern idols that are being demanded on them in corporate America. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing people move in order to be near churches. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said this, I don't know, for years, you know, people, people will move across the country to go to school or they'll move across the country to take a job, but to, to move a hundred miles to go to a church, you know, that just sounds so crazy. Well, look, I mean, what's more important. You start weighing what's really important. And I, I've told people regularly, look, Find a healthy church, build your life around it. Mm -hmm. If you do that, then, then you've at least got the parameters in place to do well in this world, in your personal life, in your family life, in your work life, uh, in your relationships. But mm -hmm. you can't do it without a healthy church. You're not going to do it well because that's the way God's called us to live. So I see people making those kind of decisions, and I'm very encouraged. And one of the things that's happening with the deconstruction that we're seeing is that some of the props that the evangelical movement have relied upon have been just absolutely destroyed mm -hmm. and praise God, because anything that we've relied upon other than Christ needs to be exposed and destroyed. So when those idols come out and sometimes it's with a uh, kicking and screaming fit, but whenever they're destroyed, that is a good spiritual thing. So yeah. we are being thrust back on the gospel of God's grace. And we've got to learn to live and die there. And if God determines to wipe us all out for his glory, well, so be it. You know, the kingdom's going to go on and, mm -hmm. and his glory is going to fill the earth. That's going to happen. And we're a part of that. And so let's play our part, do the best we can 
whatever energy, time, strength he gives to us and whatever fields of service he places us in, knowing that we're a part of something far bigger that is going on that is going to be incredibly glorious because our God has promised this. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not discouraged. I'm not pessimistic at all. I'm very hopeful. Man, what a day to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. I, I started Amen. using this language. I mean, when you're talking about preaching the gospel or, or preaching God's law, which praise God, that's being discovered too, again, but it's a target rich environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, anywhere you look, there's great need for the gospel Amen. and the law to proclaim the glory of our Christ. Yeah. Amen. That's a lot of exciting stuff. Before I let you go here, would you, uh, most of my listeners, people at our church, the guys that are in this cohort are going to be familiar with you and your work and everything that's going on with founders. But why don't you go ahead and just uh, tell us where we can go to find more information about you, your work and everything that's going on. Yeah. You can go to founders.org and that will get you to just about anything that I'm involved with or founders ministries. Um, you know, we do, we do a lot of things. We publish books. Jared and I, you referred to, just published a book called Strong and Courageous, you know, how to stand against the rising new religion in America. And uh, it's kind of the fruit of a lot of our thinking over the last couple of years about these things. We have just announced in the last couple of months, this Institute of Public Theology. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Tom Nettles, Bodie Balkum, Jared Longshore, and myself are the founding faculty of this institute. We hope to have the application process up and running in April. We hope to have our registration open in May. First classes are already on the books. So Tom Nettles will be teaching um, church history part one from the angle of what it means to engage the world and how that happened over the first 1400 years of the New Testament era. And then I'll be teaching the pastor as a public theologian. Those will, those courses will be at the very end of August and first of September. September. Uh, Vody Balkum scheduled to teach cultural apologetics next January, January 2022. The uh, 2022 Founders Conference is on the, the church militant and triumphant. That'll be here in Southwest Florida as well. You can sign up for that already. Excited about what God's doing with that conference. Had a big meeting about that today, and uh, there's some wonderful things coming together that we hope to be able to announce in the next couple of months, at least. Um, so, lo- lots of good things. I-, I would encourage anyone, if if you have any interest at all in the institute, or are being trained in engaging our world as a Christian to look over the Institute of Public Theology. You can get to it from founders.org. It'll have its own site. Um, I think you can. Actually, go to instituteofpublictheology.org and get there now. But uh, we're building all of that out, and, and it's going to be wonderful. We got some great guys. Mark Coppinger is going to be teaching for us. Uh, Chad Vegas, Travis Allen, an ex Navy SEAL uh, who's a pastor in Colorado, will be teaching for us. Uh, Jim Scott Ork is one of our uh, adjunct professors as well. And um, we got some others that we will announce uh, shortly uh, as well who will be well known theologians that are joining ranks with us. It's awesome. Well, and as a quick plug here, Dr. Oreck is actually going to be partnering with a guy that was a that is a board member for us, which is Mark Mark Goldman, and they're going to be doing a podcast on our site called The Country Parson, and so that's going to be coming out here pretty soon, and I'm pretty excited about that. Well, yeah, I've been seeing what you what you're doing down there, and I pray that the Lord blesses the work. Just so so many fruitful things that are happening, and man, just press on, keep keep going. There's a lot of people being encouraged by what God is doing through you guys, so. So I want to thank you so much. I've been talking to Dr. Tom Askell. Tom, thanks so much for coming on. My joy. Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. 
For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.